I'm Zach Miller, Editor-in-Chief of Tearsheet. The following was produced by Tearsheet Studios. We worked with Wave, a financial software company for entrepreneurs and small businesses, to create a three-part podcast series on what micro-businesses and solopreneurs really need now from their banks, financial service providers, and financial software. One of the things that's got me really interested in fintech was hearing founders' own stories, what got them into the business, why some left high-paying jobs that throw their hats in the entrepreneurial ring, a ring that can be really hard, confounding, and a roller coaster of emotion. Many of them started their businesses out of a deep connection to the problem they're trying to solve. And when you trace back through their stories, you can get some insight and apply it to your own business, practice, or department you're trying to build. In 2009, Kirk Simpson founded Wave, accounting software for entrepreneurs, micro-businesses, and solopreneurs. He didn't have an accounting background, his co-founder did, but he did have experience building and running small businesses. Also, he absolutely wanted to leave working for the man, which helps fire up the motivation to change how things are done, to stir the pot, to mix things up, and break through the status quo. Hi, my name is Kirk Simpson. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Wave. We're a software and financial services company that serves small businesses. You know, in a lot of ways, I think it was related to just being absolutely sick of of uh, of working for the working for the man, um, to use an old expression. James Lockery and I founded the business in 2009. We got serious about it in 2010. Um, I'll tell you a quick funny story. I was. I was uh, working for a media company. My wife was a, an equal breadwinner. We had two kids, young kids, a really big mortgage, and she was pregnant with our third. And I was selling her on an everyday basis that it would be a really good idea for me to quit my job and start a tech company. And I don't know what gave her, you know, the, uh, I don't know, the conviction to say yes, but she said yes. And, and off we went. Um, and 10 years later, it's just been an incredible journey. It has been an incredible journey. After launching Wave as a free, yeah, free accounting software, the company eventually exited to H&R Block in 2019 for $405 million. Now, there's 10 years between when Kirk quit his job I asked him about the ups and downs and the pressure of starting a fintech firm while building a family. Yeah, it, it was a stressful time. And I think many entrepreneurs and, and startup founders will, will recognize themselves in it. Um, I think you just, you've got conviction and you've got belief and you know you're going to work like a, a dog to try and bring it to life. Um, you know, I kept some consulting on the side to, to give myself a six or nine month window um, but it was, it was scary. And, um, and with a family, I mean, I think one of the reasons why it's great to start uh, a startup early on in life is because, you know, that family dynamic does bring a, a completely different aspect to it. But when you've got conviction and you know that you just got to take a chance, I think sometimes it's just worth taking that chance. I love hearing founder passion. Sometimes it makes all the difference between creating a successful company and flaming out. It can keep you going when things get tight and stressful. Ensuring that the founders have enough cash flow to keep them going is also an important and frequently underappreciated part of building fintech firms. Also, do you take money from friends? Can you afford not to? 
You know, we were in a really fortunate situation. I wasn't able to to put any money into the business, but my co-founder was. And so we did have a bit of capital to start. Um, and that gave us a leg up to, to start the build. I think the one of the challenging moments very early on, and we've had many of them, is in the summer of 2010, a couple of our friends wanted to invest. And I think that is a really interesting line in the sand that you've got to make a, a strong determination on whether or not you want to cross that line. Um, we ultimately had four of our friends put in money. Um, and, you know, that dynamic was was difficult. They were incredible investors, um, very patient and um, not overbearing. But you know, you you do um, add a lot of pressure onto yourself when you do take that kind of a round. Um, we didn't have a lot of choice, and so it was a kind of easy decision, but it definitely added a, a new dynamic into the fold. After funding a company or finding quick wins for cash flow, founders need to get to work. For Kirk and Wave, splitting co-founder responsibilities was relatively easy. Kirk was an entrepreneur and took on the business aspects while his co-founder had accounting software domain expertise. They began building the company. I think it was it was pretty obvious. My co-founder had a technical background. He 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 didn't have it in modern programming languages. So you know we needed to hire um, engineers right from day one. But he had the domain exper- experience and he had enough technical knowledge to to be able to you know give some guidance to the engineers. And you know for me, I kind of knew that I was going to be in the uh, fundraising, telling the story, marketing um, type area. I do think that um, it was pretty easy to to draw those lines, but we did decide early on that we would kind of make all decisions together. And sometimes co-founders, in an effort to be completely equitable, run into some challenges. It's how they emerge from those struggles that can point the company in the right direction for the future. You know, I was named the CEO mostly for fundraising purposes, and that did create some difficulties downstream in terms of oftentimes, I think when you have a co-founder relationship where you're trying to make decisions equally, you know, when things get tough and heated and challenging, sometimes you um, compromise and you make a compromise decision versus the best decision. And I think we found that. Sometimes James left the business day to day in 2015. He stayed on the board and was very supportive. Um, But in some ways, there was some liberation that happened through that process to have only a single point of of decision making. Um, And I think if I look back on it, we we probably should have made some tougher calls about, you know, uh, roles and responsibilities and who was the ultimate decision maker where. As Wave was building accounting software for entrepreneurs, I was curious about how Kirk and team handled their own finances in the beginning. Indeed, they did eat their own dog food. Well, the ironic thing is, is we were building a a fully featured double entry accounting system. And so obviously we wanted to use our own software and and put it through its paces and sort of learn about its pros and cons and and deficiencies as as a user. And so it was great for that. But the company grew really, really quickly. We raised um, $5 million from CRV in 2011, and then uh, about $13 million from social capital uh, in 2012. And so 
we were quickly up to, you know, 60 to 80 people. And our software is built to serve micro small businesses, zero to five employees. And so we were kind of the biggest power user of our own system. We were really testing the bounds of, of uh, you know, how it worked, et cetera. We didn't move off of our own software until probably 2016 or 17. So it, it really held up well for us. It was a good way of stress testing the system, but it, it certainly wasn't its primary use case. While Kirk led fundraising and was the public face of the company, his co-founder handled the finances in the company. Um, it, it mostly fell within James. James had been mm-hmm. in small business tax prep for a long time, so he really understood the domain. You know, as soon as you raise venture money, I mean, this stuff's got to be taken really, really seriously, obviously. Um, I think it's important for any small business owner to understand their numbers and be able to to make decisions based on, you know, good financial information. And obviously we're in that business with Wave, um, but, you know, it goes to the next level when you get venture financing and, and um, need to make sure that, that everything is running, you know, in a really locked down way. It's said that Microsoft founder Bill Gates preferred to hire what he called lazy engineers because they would find the simplest and fastest solutions to problems. Kirk doesn't enjoy the financial side of running a business, and that's pretty typical of Wave customers. They want to focus on their businesses and not their finances. I think what's kind of fun is my personal experience is that I hate everything to do with accounting and bookkeeping and payroll and all of these kinds of things. I am truly the sort of classical customer of Wave that despises all of this stuff, believes it gets in the way of the average small business owner, believe that, in fact, uh, all of this stuff means that a whole bunch of people actually don't want to start small businesses. They might be passionate about something, but they realize all this other stuff gets in the way and is going to be overly complex and get in the way of their passion. And so that was really, it was a nice mix because James brought the technical expertise and, uh, and had spent time with hundreds of small business owners, so understood the pain and the friction and I came at it from, you know, loving technology, loving small businesses and wanting to make this stuff as simple as possible so that they could go back to doing what they love. I asked Kirk to look back and pull out some examples of how his personal history, his experience, informed how he built Wave, the product and the company. He made a powerful decision early on to offer free software that definitely impacted how partners, investors and customers viewed Wave. Yeah, very. I mean, very much so. And and of course, it's always easy to look back. I think, you know, there were some interesting things that I learned through the process. Um, for any of your listeners that are that are venture backed or thinking about, you know, uh, raising from venture capitalists, you know, we knew very early on that the model that we were pursuing. Uh, in giving away our software for free. So if those those of you who are not familiar, you know, Waves invoicing and accounting software is 100% for free, which is incredibly unique in the market. Um, and when we did that, we knew that we were going to need to raise venture capital and probably need to raise a lot of venture capital uh, in order to, to get the kind of audience scale that we needed to make our model work. And I think that dynamic requires um, a a startup founder to be very 
centered on their mission, uh, very um, centered on their customer and what they're trying to do, and to make sure that you're not getting pulled and pushed into different things through you know, some of your venture um, partners. I think on the whole, my relationship with, with our venture partners was really, really good. And they were, you know, this, this dream wouldn't have come to life without them. And some are better than others. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, And it's easy to look back and see things you could have done differently as an entrepreneur. But Kirk and Wave's journey was influenced by how he decided to fund the company. But if there's one thing that I wish I could have done differently is at times um, not blown in the wind as much as I did based on feedback um, and instead stayed a little bit more, you know, true to what I knew the business needed to do. And I think we overestimate the value of um, VC advice sometimes over our own intuition when we're the ones in the business every day uh, seeing, you know, on a day-to-day basis, what needs to happen in the business. And I think I could have been stronger in that realm. You know, it was in, I believe, 2013. So we had gone live kind of beginning of 2011. The product was in market for, let's say, a year or a year and a half. And the one thing that I'll say about giving your software away for free is obviously you get a whole bunch of customer demand, but it's very, very difficult to truly understand churn. So if I'm paying for software, it's pretty easy to see whether or not I churn or not um, because I cancel the, the subscription. And small business owners oftentimes go in and out of software programs like ours. They'll have time one month to stay on top of it and then they'll defer it for a couple of months and then they'll come back in month four, let's say. And so it's very difficult to understand whether or not they've churned or not because they haven't canceled their credit card. In fact, there's no credit card on file. So we went into the 2013, mid 2013 board meeting and James and I knew in our gut, we had a churn problem. And the advice that we were given was that our sample size was too big and we should go for growth. And by having more users, we'll get more validation of our hypothesis and blah, 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 blah. And that was the wrong call. We knew that we had a churn problem and I didn't stand up for that enough. And I think that was a mistake. And it took us a few years to overcome that from a product standpoint. Once Kirk and Wave got off the ground, signs were pretty clear that FinTech was in a bull market and his positioning at the center of a small business ecosystem would attract more money from professional investors. Venture capitalists were interested in investing in Wave. So in uh, early 2019, we were raising a round. Um, we were pretty convinced, you know, in 2014-15, we had seen pretty early on that uh, payments embedded into software was going to be a big thing. And we started building our own payment platform. And that became a huge, you know, growth driver for us. And, you know, into... 14, 15, 16, 17, and beyond, you've seen more and more SaaS companies embed payments to great success. And so we, I think we were ahead of the curve on that. In 2018 and 19, we began to see that there was a huge opportunity to start embedding a bank account product in our software to make a much better experience for small business owners. And so we were raising funds 
and um, and having great conversations with with folks, and in fact, getting very close to to finalizing the round. That same interest brought potential acquirers to the table too, and two years ago, an important relationship was struck between Wave and H and R Block that eventually led to Kirk's exit. In March of 2019, I first met Jeff Jones from H&R Block, and I had my own thoughts about that brand. Um, And I met Jeff, who is the former uh, president of Uber in 2016. And I like to say about Jeff that he was smart enough to get the job when Uber was could have had anybody in 2016. And he was values driven enough to leave about seven or eight months later because he didn't like what was happening there. And so I met Jeff in March of 2019 and he told me about what was happening at Block and I told him what was happening about Wave, at Wave. And we just really connected on an opportunity to not only build great product experiences for customers, but also values driven in a way to build cultures that you can, you know, can drive that innovation. And so the deal closed in the beginning of June. And so that's how fast it went. Um, And ever since then, I've been learning from Jeff. And, you know, this year we launched an integrated tax experience where you can, you know, do your books and wave for free through the year and then push a button and have all of that move over into Block's tax engine to make tax time easier. So it's been a great marriage and um, and I'm, I continue to be excited to work with Jeff and, and the folks at Block. It sounds like for Kirk, personalities, culture, and people are very important into his decision-making process. Those values influence the trajectory of his company. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that because really at the end of the day, I think it's the most important thing. Um, I had an experience, my first business failed when I was about, uh, I'm doing the math, I guess I was about 27, 26, 27 when it failed. And I was about $40,000 in debt and I really, I hadn't finished university, college, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I ended up getting a job at a... um, magazine publishing company that was looking to move online in the year 2000. And my experience there in the next five years was so seminal to my overall career. And and the woman that had hired me was just so amazing at empowering me to be able to do my best work. And I remember thinking to myself when we started Wave, if we can create a culture and an environment that mimics the experience that I had, meaning that people can look back on their time at wave as being the most seminal in their career. That will be the the greatest gift of all. That's really where we focused a lot of our time. I wouldn't say we've delivered it every time to everybody, but I know that on the whole, you know, the culture is well regarded and the people that have, you know, graced us with their part of their career uh, at wave has just been a joy for me. And so you're absolutely right that for me, people, experiences, culture that leads to innovation and uh, autonomy and great work has just been, you know, probably the, my most favorite part of this whole journey. When Kirk received an offer to buy his company, he was right in the middle of fundraising. He could have chosen to continue going at it alone. When's the right time to take an offer? What's the deciding factor to choose to stay independent? You know, that's a very difficult um, decision to make, obviously, at the time. I think, you know, when you look at 
what you want as an entrepreneur in that situation in a venture-backed business is you want the opportunity to be able to make that decision. And I will always be grateful to the board of WAVE and my co-founder and the exec team at, at WAVE in that all of them looked at me and said, you know, we'll follow you where you think we should go on this. And that was an amazing, you know, gift they gave me at the same time. It was an incredible burden in a lot of ways to make the decision. I think, you know, we had been at this for a long time. Um, our, some of our VC partners had been in us for a long time. And as I looked at what we could accomplish moving forward in service of our customers and truly bringing this platform to life in a way that would best serve their needs, as well as just, you know, the financial well-being of, of everybody in the business and the people who had backed us. I mentioned before, some friends had backed us in the summer of 2010. I mean, the returns for them would be substantial. And so on the whole, I looked at it and, and just made a decision that I thought for everyone involved, it was the best possible call at that time. I asked Kirk if there were certain things that were essential for him in his decision-making process, whether or not to take the offer whether he had any lines in the sand? You know, it's a great question. I think what, what I knew going into this and what absolutely played out was that I wouldn't have to have any of those lines because Block wouldn't push on them. So, you know, it was just always clear that the team was the most important part. And so it's not like there would be any layoffs or any of that kind of stuff. In fact, we would continue to grow. Um, it was clear that we were going to be left as an autonomous, uh, you know, unit to continue to drive forward. It was clear that we were going to continue to invest in the platform to serve small businesses. You know, so all of those things, I never really had to develop that line because quite frankly, it was clear from day one that we were, you know, aligned on what that should look like so that it was the best outcome for everybody. Even after 10 years, Kirk's journey with Wave isn't over. Now, under H&R Block's umbrella, the fintech software firm is firing on all cylinders. And when he thinks about how he got here, I think Kirk has learned something about his own intuition. Really, the intuition all founders have. You know, I think, I think one of the, the, the biggest things, and we touched on it a little bit, is, is, you know, trust your intuition. I think we're in a world right now that, you know, has a, puts a high degree of, of value on data. And I think that's really, really important. But um, I don't think we put enough value on intuition. And I think wherever I listened to it and acted on it appropriately, whether or not that was making some difficult calls on, on people or processes or decisions, I think, you know, usually it came out in a much better place than, than had I overanalyzed it. And so I, I would just, you know, coach other startup entrepreneurs to just make sure that they continue to hone that and to look at data to back it up for sure, but to, but to put more stock in their intuition. That was Kirk Simpson's story around the founding and exit of his financial software firm for entrepreneurs. It's part of a three-part series Tearsheet Studios is running with Wave. Go to our website, tearsheet.co, to listen and read the other parts of the series.